This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Welcome back to Redefine You, a conversation for well-being, where we have open and honest conversations. As when one shares their vulnerability in such a way, we're encouraged to look within. Redefine You is meant to inspire you to look within and guide you to lead a life being grounded in you. Now, today's guest is a true inspiration and icon for women voices. She's an accomplished singer, film and television star, and a groundbreaking TV talk show host. She's a mother, an author, and celebrated filmmaker, a health and wellness warrior, tirelessly inspiring others to grow stronger than their challenges. She passionately is devoted to empowering women, dedicated to removing the stigma around mental health, and working hard to change needless medical marijuana restrictions. Ricky Lake is living proof that a heart of gold can change the world. And for all the good she has done, she's only just getting started. Hi, Ricky. Hi, that's quite the intro. I'm like, wait a minute. Are you sure you're talking about me? (laughs) Oh, I am talking all about you. Before we start, I ask all of my guests, if you were to check in with yourself right here, right now, what would Ricky find? I have to say this morning on this beautiful day, living in my new home in Malibu, I am in a place of contentment, like total Mm. inner peace. I mean, it, it, it sounds, it sounds too good to be true, but honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm the happiest and most content I've ever been in my entire life, which says a lot because I've had such a happy joy filled life, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful time for me. Wow. Well, I have to say you know, Ricky, I met you obviously working on a silly little show together. Um, are we going to talk about that? Are we going to, eh, no? you know, eh, I mean, okay. we can and we can, if you, was, whatever you want, well, whatever just, you want to throw in, you're more than welcome. <laughs> uh, you know, Kevin was on the show too. We just, we just said the silly little show, um, you know, okay. but we, we did, we did a show together. And I have to say during that period of time, when I met you, I was just drawn to your energy. I was drawn to your abundance of beauty and just love and compassion towards every single person that was there. Mm. Needless did I know all the story that has been brought behind you until now and being able to understand a little bit more of what's brought you to this journey. And before we start, I will say I was getting quite emotional this morning about it mm. because to see the beauty that you were just outpouring just from a person to person level of just, hi, how are you? And to know all that you have gone through and still are standing the strong, powerful woman to say that you're content today was a beautiful, beautiful reminder of that. You got to keep going. Thank you. Thank you for that reflection. And, you know, I have to say we, we knew each other, you know, it was a very short stint, but it was a weird, surreal experience. Like I don't, I can't say I was like in my body in that experience. Um, 
but I, you know, it was, that was, that was a, a gift. I mean, that experience yeah. for me was ultimately a real gift. I made friends. Like I really made friends and I'm still in touch with whatever year and a half, two years later. And, um, but I, you know, I feel like that was like a fish out of water, I think for all of us, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot to my story. There's a lot that I've, I've gone through, gotten over and moved past and, and, you know, my, my life is, I, I always say it's like a movie, you know, there's so many twists and turns and, uh, and I'm, I'm still waiting to see how it ends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that show was a gift. It was a gift to all of us to be able to create with each other. And also I think a landing like post for us all to jump off the edge. You know, we had this sense of uncertainty within our own fears. And what I was saying to Kevin on another episode was, you know, I didn't realize where my mental health journey really was until afterwards. I wasn't in the best of spaces to be a part of a show like that at that period of my life, I think. And I'm so proud of myself to be able to recognize that and to now go moving forward. I have the tools to be able to understand, but I'm not sure, you know, where were you in your life during that period of time? Were you in a good space? Do you feel like? I mean, yes, I was. I mean, that opportunity and we, we can say, you know, it was for the UK X Factor. And so for me, yeah. You know, my career, I, like I make documentary films now, so I don't really work as an on-camera talent. I don't host anything per se, unless, you know, something special comes along. So yeah. it was just a way, I mean, for me, for me, like I wanted to live in London. I've always dreamt of living in London and I never had the opportunity to be there longer than a week or two. And so yeah. I had this opportunity to go and live. And, and I mean, the joke is like, I feel like I won that show because I got kicked off first and I got paid for the whole time. So I got to be in London for two and a half months. And the truth comes out, Ricky. <laughs> I mean, and I had to like fake being sad when they, when they voted me off. I mean, I'll never forget. Simon Cowell told me I, I sounded like a rehearsal. <laughs> I mean, hey, at the end of the day, it is what it is. You got this beauty of living in London with your best friend as well, which yeah. I remember, and your doggy. So it was a beautiful experience. It was amazing. So I can't, I can't complain. I got to meet you there, and that's what that was my gift, you know. And I got to meet you there, but I want to go back. I want to start from the beginning. You know, what was your upbringing like, and what were your challenges along the way as a young girl? Um. I was a pretty typical sheltered, you know, two parents, maybe upper middle class. You know, my dad was a pharmacist. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I was really into theater. I was really into performing. I was overweight. I mean, I was, I struggled with my body, um, you know, at least, you know, what the norms were. You know, I just, I just, my mother wasn't really, didn't know how to handle her, her fat daughter. And so for, you know, it was, it was challenging. You know, I turned to food. I was molested as a small child uh, repeatedly. And so I turned to food as many children do, and that caused me to gain weight. And so it was just this weird kind of, um, I, like I wanted to be a performer. I kind of was, you know, had instilled in me that I would, I could do anything for my, for my grandmother who passed when I was young, but she really was my biggest fan. And that, that belief in myself came, I think, from her support. But, you know, it's this weird kind of dichotomy because here I was, like, I had this inner belief in myself and, and maybe a talent. I don't know. I don't know what my talent, you know, but I had like a spark. I'll, I'll say that. I had like a spark to me. 
but I also wasn't the typical ingenue type, you know, but then I got hairspray. John Waters plucked me from obscurity, gave me my entire career and he opened every door for me. And, and granted, I think I was perfect for that role of playing yeah. Tracy Turnblad in the original hairspray. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I had, but I had no idea. Like, like the funny thing about my entire career, it's usually kind of impulsive. It's in the moment. It's not my, um, my manifestation, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be the fat girl that wins the guy and gets and becomes a movie star. Like it just, it happened and unfolded that way, but it wasn't my own, you know, it just, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I happened to be able to deliver the goods, you know, mm. with my talk show, same thing. They, they said I could do a talk show. They, they picked me and I was like, okay, if they think I can do it, I can do it. You know, this is, there's this inner kind of lack of doubt with me that my friends kind of joke about, you know, where I just kind of jump in yeah. first. I want to go back a little bit to you talking about our inner child, because one of the things you did say was that I know that you have said that being curvier, you were trying to not be attracted to men. Can you explain to us a little bit more about that for somebody who may be in that same position? I know that for myself, you know, I also grew up as a curvier girl and I had to identify with what my relationship was with my body and why my relationship with food was the way that it was. So I would be curious to know, you know, what your relationship was at that time and, and why you think it was the way that it was. I mean, I was a late bloomer in every way because I, of, of what I was subjected to as a small child, you know, being molested and being taken advantage of by a man, just it, it made me not want to be vulnerable in that way. And I felt, I mean, I don't think it was a conscious thing. I think it's just like, okay, when you're, when you're less you know, when you're overweight, you are not always, you know, the head turner for guys. So it just was a protective mechanism for me. And, you know, I look at the experience, you know, it was, it was awful and I would never wish it on anyone, but it made me who I am a part of, you know, I mean, it really did. And I'm glad I was a late bloomer. I'm glad I wasn't promiscuous as a young girl, you know, cause I think I could have gone a different way. And I, I have a very dear friend who's was also, you know, violated sexually as a small child also dealt with weight issues and she did the opposite. She was like mm. super promiscuous at 14. You know, I, I wasn't, but, um, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, 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 it's really hard. I'm really glad I don't have daughters, you know, I'm mm. sure it happens to men too, but having boys, I don't know, it feels less pressureful, I guess, yeah. you know, as a mom. And I remember being when my, my son was the age that I was, I was molested at the first time at six. And when my son was that age, it, it triggered me in a way that I hadn't thought about it in a long time. The idea of someone do, taking advantage of my child at that, it, it just, yeah, it, it was, it was a process. Well, of course. And I think that, you know, with anything in trauma, it lives within your body. And so I'd be curious to ask you, you know, did you feel that you had triggers, like you said, that still were living in your body? And I'm speaking a little bit from experience and the sense of trauma myself. As I've gotten older, I've understood where the trauma lives in my body and how it's inflicted when a trigger does arise. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious to know, you know, do you feel the same? Did you feel yeah, I mean, younger looking back? 
I haven't thought about it in a long time when I was younger. I mean, I, I, the trauma that I have suffered late, like of late is more to do with like losing my, my partner and husband to suicide and mental illness like that. I mean, I it just, when you're talking about it, I rem, I'm reminded of, I did a show called the mass singer like three years ago. Yeah. And that was about a year after I'd lost my, my, then my husband, Christian Evans to bipolar and, and suicide, death by suicide. But um, I was on that show and I got sciatica. And, and I could not walk like my whole, the whole time I was doing that show and I'm wearing this giant costume. It's the first season of that show. I'm in, having to be anonymous, you know, and yeah, I couldn't yeah. move. And I'd never had anything like that before. I never had it when I was pregnant with my kids. And I realized that it was the trauma. It was the, ra- the well, it was the inner rage, the unrepressed mm. or, or repressed rage that I wasn't tapping into. And I didn't even know I felt rage towards him taking his life, you know, but it's like in my body. And so it's the kind of thing, it's like your nervous system is connected to your brain and that can result in, in chronic pain in, in places. So yeah, as far as like, you know, being molested and being dealing with weight issues. I mean, I feel like I've made peace with that. I, I you know, yeah, of course I have gratitude for like all that I've gone through in my life, good and bad. Well, I think going back even to just Tracy Turnblad, you know, that character symbolized so much for female empowerment without even knowing it, because it was the Mm. first time seeing somebody who was curvier, who took ownership for her power Mm -hmm. shamelessly, without judgment, without guilt towards it and said, I'm here and I'm going to stay here and celebrate me, whether you tell me not to. You know, I'm going to take that that power back. What was that like for you to play a role like that within your own self-growth journey? It was incredible. Yeah. It, it was, inc- I mean, I have chills just talking. Look, every hair is standing up. Yeah. It was It was the role of a lifetime. And I had no idea that it would have this like, you know, long lasting impact and this, all these re these iterations of new, new Tracy's and new, you know, films yeah. and yeah. Broadway. I mean, it just opened back on the West End I saw. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I, 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 you know, for me as a little, as a young girl, you know, I was a virgin when I made that film. I had never really been like, I'd never had experiences with guys. So here I'm having to make out on camera and be like, you know, so it was like, there was this push pull of like, I can do this. I can do this, you know? And then part of me is like, I don't, I don't know about this, but I just pushed (laughs) that aside. And I kind of just did what did my best to be that girl. And, um, it was, it was magic. It was truly magic to work with divine, to work with all those people in Baltimore that just kind of accepted me and took me in as their own. And, I went on to make five films with John Waters. I'm still, you know, still good friends with him. It was, it was amazing. And I, I just love that it, it, I love what that character represents. Like you said mm. to young women, you know, this role model, this underdog that overcomes and achieves and loves herself. And, you know, I, I wish I deep down loved myself the way Tracy does in that film. I feel like I do now. I feel like I am, I am in a place of, of, of just like, self-love and appreciation for everything I've gone through for my body. I mean, at this point, like my body, I'm not in pain. It works. You know, I'm able to be active. I, I, I have a really high libido. I've got a really, like, I feel <laughs> like my, my fiance and I joke that we're like Benjamin Button, that we're aging back backwards. Oh, because we're, we're like two young kids and it's, um, yeah, it's such a great time. 
You know, it's it's sometimes this world gives us the gift of playing a role that then teaches us something about ourselves. And I think that was the same for me at a young age playing Amber on Huge. It taught me a lot about my self-awareness towards my body and the relationship I had with it. I'd be curious to ask, you know, you going off and then doing all these different movies and television series, you know, do you feel like you were ever challenged by your body defining your roles consistently or was that not really a case for you? Hmm. I mean, God, I mean, I think about like the roles I played, I mean, I, you know, I remember making Mrs. Winterborn, you know, a film that I've just recently watched again. It's such a cute movie and it's Shirley MacLaine and Brendan Fraser. And I'm like the ingenue. And I remember I had to be put on a diet for the film and mm. that was really hard. I mean, they, I remember like they wanted to like to weigh me and I had to like, you know, they got a bike and a treadmill brought to my house that I was renting in Canada. I mean, it was just like, it's like a little bit soul crushing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because well, looking back, just... it is definitely, I think, probably because you were in that position of like, I want this opportunity and I want to be her, you know, I want to get in her shoes. But how is this then going to inflict when I go home? You know, when I'm behind the scenes? It was, it was, it was, yeah, it was just a lot to like kind of put that aside and just try to like believe in myself in that, in that role. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of other roles. Like I've, I, you know, I was the fat girl for a long time. I, or you say curvy girl. Do you find it offensive for me saying the word fat? Cause I know some no, people. I think no. it's, 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 I think it's all about the way that you look upon the word, right? So it's mm-hmm. your relationship with the word and how you convictionally talk about it. So I have no problem. Everyone says to me, do you have a problem being a plus size model? I, I no, because it's only brought me love and light. So you can call mm. me plus size, curve, fat, whatever you want. And I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think that the reason why I bring this up is because being somebody as well, who's a curvier actor, there are periods in my life where I feel like a lot of the storylines after the show that I was on was always playing the fat girl, was always playing Mm. the girl who was bullied, was always in in the storyline until I would say probably only like six years ago where we started getting lead actors coming in where that wasn't necessarily the bit, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was curious because you've had such a lengthy career, Mm -hmm. if that was ever a concern for you or you felt as if there was pressure to always have to play that specific role. Yeah, I mean, I just I I played the roles that were offered to me, you know, and yeah. many times they were the the overweight girl, the best friend, the funny, you know, like like the tight, you know, that 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 role. Um, I haven't acted in such a long time, so I don't know. And I and I'm I'm up for it. Like I, at this point, like I'm open to sort of opportunity. I get a rise out of reinventing myself, whether yeah. it's physically, physically, like I was able to change my physicality. Where I, you know, you look at pictures of me from like. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, like when I did Dancing with the Stars, I was able to transform my body. I lost about Mm. 25 pounds, but I got, I became an athlete. I became a ballroom dancer. So I get into that. Like I, I love that I, you know, have done these, these different kind of roles where I look physically different, shaving my head. I mean, that was not a vanity move. That was like me kind of taking ownership. Power move. And I didn't even think, I mean, I just was desperate. I was at the end of my rope. And so I did yeah. something that I had to do. And I just saw Jada, Jada Pinkett Smith just shaved her head and sort of came out with the fact that she's been dealing with the same thing with hair loss and stuff. So, um, yeah, but, but again, like I, I love new challenges. I don't want to yeah. do the same thing over and over again. You know, I really love like, okay, wow. I didn't know she could do that. Wow. Or yeah. I didn't know I could that, you know, I mean, well, you obviously took on the big challenge of having your own iconic TV show, Ricky Lake, with numerous award attention. I want to talk to you a little bit about this because 
obviously you are talking to people about their vulnerability, their heart, you're amplifying real stories so that people can feel like they're never actually alone because they're identifying with somebody that's on the screen. What did you want to people to actually take away from each episode of that show at the time? Yeah. I mean, the show really was a phenomenon and groundbreaking. Like I can, re- I can step outside of it and be like, oh my God, what we yeah. were able to do back in that day. And probably was like when you were a little tiny girl. I mean, we went on the air in 1993. So September, 1993. You the are same- a trailblazer. It was, but, it, but at the time it was sort of like, or I should say now looking back on it, I was 24 years old when they handed me that microphone and said, you know, go ahead. And which is kind of, presumptuous. Like what exactly does a 24 year old have to like offer about life experience? But I think our show really was like modern day therapy for so many young people that like you said, were able to see people like themselves on screen where they weren't feeling alone. And it happens time and time again, I'll be on the street and I'll run into someone and they'll say, thank you for showing a gay person like myself. You know, I down where there was no one like me. And because of that, I was able to you know, whatever, except myself or, so that happens all the time. And I didn't even think of it at the time because of my experience with John Waters and Divine and the Baltimore, you know, making those movies, gay people were just like everyone else. Like every relationship Mm. is, is, is the same. You know, we had biracial couples, which, you know, I didn't think was like a big deal at the time, but it was a big deal. You know, I treated, I tried to, tried to treat everyone who was on my show the way I would want to be treated. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's why, that's why 24 year old, you got that mic in your hand is because you were, you had empathy towards every single story that you spoke to and your curiosity towards being able to amplify their story and their purpose and reminding them that they're valued no matter what their story is. And that's the beauty of what you guys did and what you did for so many years and for so many people. So hat off to you. You know, it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of work. I mean, it was like a grind but I really, I love, I was always curious about relationships. I'm still curious, you know? So it was really just, it was a, it was a perfect kind of job, perfect time for me. And, um, and I don't take it lightly. You know, I appreciate the opportunity to have had that platform at that time. I want to ask you, you know, during the period of the show, I think that we as public figures have this idea where we weren't able to show our struggles offset, right? If we did show our struggles publicly without shame or fear, we may actually lose the job. And during that period of time, did you ever experience that? Did you ever feel shame towards, you know, showcasing that maybe you were having a challenging day while being on set? Not really. I mean, because the thing about me is I'm like, what you see is what you get. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. really like, I mean, I was protective of my children. So when I went through my divorce with with their dad, I mean, I, you know, normally I would just like everything. I just throw up everything that I'm going through because I don't know how else to be. I've been that way when Christian died. I didn't know any other way but to like put it out there. This is what I'm going through. And, you know, it ends up being, um, helpful in my healing process in being authentic and raw and open. I don't know how else to be. I'm 52 years old and I've always been that way. And I probably always will be. So with my show, I think that's one of the reasons people liked me on the show was because I was as much an open book as I was asking them to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
and, but that's hard, you know, and that like being somebody who was born into the industry and a family that's in the public eye for so many years, you know, we were always told, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Now here I am on a podcast talking about it, you know? And I think that for me, I found that as well as speaking through my body image throughout my career and specific points was always super helpful. But now speaking about my mental health journey is even more helpful Mm -hmm. because it really shows the length of what I still deal with, with my inner child for you to be on a show and to consistently do that. And like you said, going through probably a public divorce and worrying about the children. I mean, I went through the exact same thing with my family. My family went through a very public divorce. And as the child, it was hard. It was hard to go to school and, you know, to understand how to rewrite the perceptions of other peers around you when you didn't feel like you needed to tell them anything. Right, right, right. What what was that like for you sort of going through such a public divorce? And it wasn't, I mean, I have to say, I I look back on like the things that happened, you know, I got divorced with my first husband in 2003. So I was still on the air of my show and it was challenging, but it wasn't like there was, it was, you know, you don't have the like Twitter and the the stuff that we have now. So it was, it was, it was, it was a bad situation, but it was, it was, could have been much worse. You know, I, I, again, and we are friends, my children are grown and healthy, you know, it's, it's time heals. It really does. As cliche as it is, you know, it really does, but you know, it's, it's weird. I mean, I, you know, my kids grew up kind of being their sons of someone who is a, is a public figure, it's got to be weird for them. I don't come from that. I I don't know. We, we do the best that we can, you know. And I certainly have tried to to put my children first, um, have a balance in my life. You know, I really really like love to work hard and I love to play hard. And um, yeah, yeah. Hey, well, first off, let me just say you did a phenomenal job. What I'm saying is I am one of those child. So I get it. I was in that situation. Yeah. And you know, you it it you you have such love and respect for your family. And the one beautiful thing and gift that we were given as children growing up with parents that are in the public eye, what I look at is that we were able to be taught that you can cope through creativity, mm-hmm. that we were able to be taught to follow your dreams, work hard, mm-hmm. and they will come true. We were able to be taught all these other little magical things that the world has to offer you that maybe somebody who doesn't understand the arts the way that we do and how it can really feed into helping in her healing process is a beautiful thing. So all the little trickle trackle that you're talking about, that's all fluff stuff. That doesn't mean anything. You know, we, we grow, we, we grow from our life experiences. I do want to talk about this beautiful love that you had with Christian. You know, I want to tap into that because you speak about it so fearlessly about the relationship you had with him. And as the show taps into breaking down mental health stigmas, I want to tap into breaking down what bipolar disorder looks like and how you can still have a loving relationship with somebody who struggles along the way. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can only talk about my, my experience with bipolar. So I'd never... I never knew what it was before. Like when I met Christian back in 2010, you know, we got together very quickly, long, crazy story, but through a house fire, we, we were brought together and he told me immediately that he was diagnosed bipolar, but I didn't, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm a control freak. We all have our stuff, you know, like I, that's how I, that's how, and I didn't even like, I didn't just, I didn't question what that, what that looked like. And so basically he was in a depressed suicidal state when I got together with him romantically. And basically, I mean, he was a man of his word and he committed to me 
and basically stopped what he, he was planning to take his life then. I mean, I didn't know that at the time, he told me later. And it was four years later into the relationship, we were already married, that he had his first bipolar episode. And so yeah. again, I didn't know what to look for. He had kind of alienated, I mean, he had dealt with it from the time he was about, he was diagnosed at 19. Now I know all this now, I didn't know any of this then. And he had his first episode, which at first presents like he's really doing amazing. Cause you know, he's someone that struggled with, he would, they would describe it. The doctor would say like, if we're operating at a zero, he was operating at a negative one. So his like base was just under. So he was always hard to motivate, hard to get out of bed, just, just a little dull and depressed, but he was still super fun and super amazing, Mm -hmm. but he just Mm -hmm. struggled. He had chronic pain. He had a back injury. So he just was always kind of struggling to get moving. And so then once he started with the, with the episode, it was like, oh my God, he's getting up in the morning. He's making lists. He's got ideas. He's, you know, moving and shaking. And I'm like, wow, he's, he's amazing. He's on fire. And his sister called me one day crying and she was kind of a little bit estranged. And she's like, look, because I think my brother's having a manic episode. I can tell from his Facebook post. She said, watch for him not sleeping, watch for him not eating, watch for him having grandiose thoughts, watch for like all the things she was saying was everything that was happening. And then it just escalates and escalates and they need to, in his case, I can't speak for everyone, but he needed to be medicated. He needed to be brought down because the only way for him to be brought down is like either through medication or they crash. And so he like thought he could fly he thought he could time travel. He left his Range Rover on the side of the road because he didn't need, I mean, it was like, it's, it becomes absolutely crazy. So destructive. Um, so painful. I mean, for me, yeah. I had given to this man and I was so in love with him. And I thought, I mean, it really is, it makes me emotional thinking about like how clueless I was. And, and yet at the same time, I had every resource, like that's what was infuriating for me through the journey of like, trying to care for him, trying to fix him, trying to save him. You know, I have, I had money. I had resources. I live in Los Angeles. I live in the United States. I, 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 I had everything available to me and yet nothing could save him. And that's really hard to live with. Well, I think that, you know, it's necessarily this thing of, we weren't speaking about what bipolar disorder was back then in a way where it was a normal conversation to have. So having those different episodes that he maybe was experiencing was really hard for you to then internally grasp and know what the right resources were. And I think that's why it's so important that we speak openly and fearlessly about it and give our experiences with people who do struggle with it and to show that there is beauty and still the pain that they've gone through, because then it allows for more people to come forth and say, Hey, I actually struggle with bipolar disorder disorder as well. I've had it for five years, but I haven't been able to publicly talk to you about it or selflessly talk to you about it because I was worried about your reaction. Instead, it creates a safe space. So when those episodes arise, they have somebody to go to and they know that they're not going to be judged, that they're just going to be able to say, let's work on this together. Let's figure out what the issue is together. I would like to add that bipolar people are extraordinary people. Like mm. they are the most charismatic. They are the most creative. I mean, in my, in my findings, you know, so they're gifted and that's a lot of cultures, a lot of like healers around the world, look at mentally ill people, quote unquote, as the healers, as the special chosen one. So, you know, Christian is as, as, as deeply troubled and ill that he was, and he medication really didn't work for him because, I mean, he would say he's an empath. And so he needed to feel like his, his, 
his gift in life was to connect and his intuition with people. And so when he was medicated, maybe they never found the right medications, but it just numbed him. It made him feel like a zombie, felt dead inside. So, you know, I, I just, I think there is a way to manage these, these mental illnesses. It is, you know, a lot of like trial and error, you know, um, it's not foolproof. We're all unique people. I mean, you know, as we're talking, as we're talking, I'm watching Cannab- I'm planting cannabis plants on my property. And um, I don't know every hunt- time I've said I love you today, but I love you. <laughs> and Christian, Christian, that was his that was his medicine. He loved, I mean, he was he I made Weed the People a documentary about cannabis and pediatric pediatric cancer because of Christian. And so these babies, these plants we're planting are for him. And it's 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 surreal because I was the most anti-drug person you'll ever meet, like when I did my show back in the day when I did my show, and now I'm going to be growing my own medicine. <laughs> I mean, I can't, it's just in honor of him in honor it's of just my, the, it's just beautiful. It. And I think that that's, that's the thing. It's being able to showcase that somebody who may struggle along the way still can live a beautiful life and still is a beautiful, beautiful person who has the compassion and care to give. And so when we talk about it more, we make the movement, we make the change, we make the, the helped before it becomes a crisis. You know, one of the most gorgeous things that I read was that you did say that that you learned a lot uh, through him. And one of the things that you learned was, you know, his compassion and kindness for others, but most importantly, the compassion and kindness he had for others that were suffering with a mental illness. And so I'd love to know a little bit more on that, you know, what, what his perception was of others who were struggling with something that identified with him. Mm-hmm. He was, I mean, he, he was, and will be my greatest teacher in this lifetime. He, I am a better person having known him, having loved him and having lost him. Yeah. Um, he, he, I mean, and, and he was like this, this simple guy. I mean, he's like this sort of unassuming guy, but he was like, he was this wise, like, I can't, I, I medicine man is the, is the way I, describe him and he just and he and he he loved me and he I made a commitment in this lifetime when he was here to take care of him which I did mm-hmm. I did mm-hmm. to the best of my ability and now that he is no longer here in physical form I believe he is absolutely watching over me and protecting me I believe he brought this man he orchestrated my <laughs> my, my new love my, yeah. new, my new love and like my like pinnacle I mean I am I'm with this this man now and I literally can't believe it because like, it shouldn't be like, like I got so lucky in this lifetime with so much. And like, I thought it was over. I thought, okay, I had Christian. I had this great love. I'm okay. Like I can be okay by myself. You know, like I, I kind of made like, it's okay. And then lo and behold, here comes this person who for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm being taken care of. Like yeah. I've always been the caretaker always, yeah. always. And I think that goes back to, I, I mean, in years of therapy, you know, being overweight and feeling a certain way about myself, like I felt like I needed to, that's where my value is. Like, oh, I, oh, they need me. Like I felt better about myself because these men needed me. Right. It is, I feel better about myself to be with a man that chooses me regardless of what I bring to the table, you know? And, um, and that's a first, and that's taken a half a century for me to really, truly love myself. And that is the greatest thing that Christian Evans taught me is that, to love myself the way he loves me, you know? I mean, I've kind of been going in and out of holding back tears <laughs> mm. this whole time. Um, Cause it's just a beautiful thing. 
It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to hear you talk about somebody that you love so selflessly. And it's a beautiful thing to hear you talk about somebody who has a mental health condition as well, because mm-hmm. I think that's the whole point of the show. It's trying to showcase that you can have struggles and still be a beautiful person. I know I keep saying that, but I want people to actually listen to it. I want we people all to struggle. recognize it. We all struggle too. It's like, I don't, I'm not diagnosed with anything, but you know, this last year and a half was so challenging for all of us, you know, the isolation and the, just, just the, 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 the like we, as a, as a human race are, we're about, it's about connection. It's about mm pulling people in and here we were, you know, in this state of like, we're afraid of everyone we come near, Yeah, you yeah. know, we think that that person could kill us, you know? And so it took its toll on me for sure. I was definitely in a place of self-medicating and, and, and also when Christian passed, I, 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 I had to self like contain. I mean, I was just, I didn't know what I was doing. I was all over the map and I feel like. What was I'm your now, grieving process? You know, uh, what, what helped you get through that time? You want to know? I'm going to show yeah. on my computer. Yeah. This can you oh. see? <laughs> this little this little being. Her name is Mama, and so she kept me going because my kids were older at that time. You know, when yeah. Christian died, this was four years ago, so they were they were pretty much on their own. And I also didn't want to burden them with my grief. You know, I didn't want to. You know, it was enough for them to deal with their stepfather passing the way he did and living through the illness because it wasn't just him passing and taking his life. Yes, that was awful. But the two episodes that we lived through were horrific. It's horrific to see someone you love and know so well to turn on a dime and become a different person. So um, she got me outside every day in the sun. She got me breathing fresh air. She got me, I mean, it just, I had to put one foot in front of the other. I didn't do well in groups like group therapy with like suicide prevention, uh, suicide survivor groups. I went a couple yeah. of times but I did, that didn't really work for me. Um, but I had a great therapist, an amazing therapist who's, who I've been with now for five years. Um, and I talk about it. I talk about it. I did a lot of publics, not a lot of publics, but I, I'd speak with different groups like bring change to mind is a, an amazing organization. I hope you're familiar with them. If not, you should be, they are all about changing the stigma with mental health and working with young people. Um, so I really love the work they do. Zach Williams is a, uh, uh, Robin Williams son is a part of that. It's just, yeah. it's just, a, so I felt for me, part of my healing was to share and to just talk and connect. And, and I found, you know, that, that so many of us have, had loved ones struggling with, with bipolar and other illnesses. And yeah, we need to just continue to talk and share and support, remove judgment, love and love ourselves. You, I mean, the thing is, is that it's, uh, it's, it's hard to share publicly. I think sometimes because you never know what's going to come back and you have to have a thick skin sometimes. But with you, you know, you continuously share in the knowing that this is going to help another person. And you've done that even with, you know, your hair loss story that you've now come out with. What has that been like for you in a different sense, publicly coming out with that as well? It's crazy. I mean, it's, 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 it's wild because I never, like, I, you know, I didn't come from a place. It wasn't about helping others. It was like almost selfish. It was like saving myself. So I didn't. Well, I think you know, subconsciously, 
you don't know how it's going to impact another person. I had no idea. I thought they were going to, people were going to make fun of me. I thought, you know, and when I wrote that post, all I did was when I shaved my head, I did it right at the end of the, of, of, for, I wanted it for new years of 2020, new year, new decade, new me. And I just wrote this heartfelt post about what I'd been going through for a long period of time. And once I let it go, like once I just surrendered and I, you know, I have like the video of me taking the buzzer and just doing it myself. It was so empowering. And but it was such a release, you know, it was just like this, this, uh, just like, I am not going to be controlled by this anymore. Yeah. And then, and then the outpouring of people that are like, oh my God, like, cause no one, no woman had ever come out and talked about this issue. And it, so many of us are affected by it. I mean, it's 50% of women at one point in their lives are mm. going to have significant noticeable hair loss, you know? That's, I mean, yeah. So, and I didn't mean to be a pioneer or poster child for this issue, but I just, I needed to be set free. And then of course my hair grew back. Like that's like the craziest thing. It's like, I never intended, I never thought through that my hair would recover, you know? And now granted, Uh, I have a hat on because I didn't wash my hair today, but it's like, I love that I I don't color my hair anymore. Like I, 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 I just, it's, it's like, it's something that like I was consumed every three weeks. I had to color my gray hair. I started going gray in my late twenties, you know, because we're not supposed to look that way. It's not youthful. It's not whatever. And I'm like, you know what? At at 50, the the cliche where you don't really give a shit about what other people think is true. Cause I, I'm at that point where I don't, I don't care what people think, you know, um, it's their business, not mine, what people think of me. Do you feel like that groundedness that you have and the power of who you are and what you believe in and how you want to be able to project yourself came in at an early age? Or do you think that it is right now, right here? You think it comes with life experience? I think it's both. I mean, I definitely think my grandma was just an amazing force at like that pivotal time, the, the, the yeah. formative years. You know, she would just, I was her firstborn grandchild and she was very special, Sylvia. And so she, I would tap dance. I would, you know, and she would just tell me how I'm the best. You're the best. And so I just thought (laughs) I was the best. And I think I went in and out of thinking I was the best, you know, through puberty and through everything and boys rejecting me and my career, whatever. But yeah, I think at this point, I really, I really like who I am. I really, I like the, the, like the friend that I am to people. I'm an amazing partner. I'm a pretty good mother. I've done really work that I'm really proud of. Yeah. It's like, I mean, this feels like the golden years, like for me. And I don't mean that like an old, like, I feel like I'm just like, I have the best of, of it all. You know, I have my health. I have this beautiful love affair that I'm having and you know, I don't know what's next for me. I mean, I have a documentary coming out this year about birth control, the business of birth control, but I don't know. I'm like, I'm kind of excited to see. I, I'm definitely not done, but yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm waiting to see what is, what, what I get to tackle next. What's beautiful though, is what I can see and what radiates the self-love that you have for yourself shamelessly. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful things is to be able to validate your personal achievements to say like, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. And I'm not going to feel sorry about saying that because I know that I am and I'm going to feel good about it so that I can live my life for me. And I think that is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm going to end this before we go into tapping into a couple questions that make you you about Ross because Ross came into your life I'm so happy for you you gotta come meet him and you I know you sent me that gift holy moly when we first got engaged oh sent me this we're still talking about it in this household (laughs) she sent me this bakery like it was it was so decadent yeah Ross is 
amazing. And I never would have probably noticed him years before. Like I, he's yeah. so not my type. If I have a type, like I'm usually drawn to the kind of the broken bird that needs, you know, help or the creative type that I'm, that's what I'm drawn to. Like the, the guy that's almost made it, you know, but not, yeah, quite okay. you know, he's almost there. <laughs> <laughs> With my help, you know, but, but Ross is a man. Ross is like established. He's a really successful attorney, but you know, he has four grown children. He grew up Mormon. He was a Mormon. So he's got this, you know, I didn't know about Mormonism. I just knew like the crazy polygamy what stuff. What did you like, find I, out I, about Mormon, Mormonism? When did I find out when I went? No, what, I what did you find oh. out about it? Well, it's just, I mean, there's a lot of craziness to it, but there's a lot of like beautiful family values. They're very family oriented. They're very work. They have a great work ethic. They work mm. really hard. They're, you know, obviously I'm generalizing in a huge way. So I'm just yeah. talking totally out of school, but he is that perfect. It's like, he was this devout Mormon for very much of his, of his life and hasn't been Mormon for about 20 years. And so it's like, he's experiencing things for the first time. You know, they don't drink alcohol. They don't, oh, wow. there's a lot, there's a lot of restrictions. And um, so it's just, it's like, it's like, he's just kind of like a straight kind of narrow guy. Like, you know, he's very normal. He, he would say to me that he's too normal for me. He is certainly not, he's super fun. And he's like, so I, we're both rubbing off on each other in a beautiful way, but um, I'm having the time of my life. He and I, we talk about the fact that we get to have a sleepover together every night. <laughs> like we're little kids. It's like, I can't wait for our sleepover. So, I mean, yeah. I, it makes me so happy to see you happy and so in love. And especially after the past year that we've all had, I also want to say thank you so much for doing check-in with you at that period in time of just being so open and honest to yeah. be able to talk about how you were feeling at that period during this past year. I'm going to leave this episode with a couple questions that tap into what make you you. Okay. So as we speak so often about building our personalized toolboxes to lend to our emotional journey, I want to know what served you the last time you experienced a flare-up or a challenging moment? Okay, a flare-up flare of like like an emotional, like a like a yeah, some sort if of you were having a challenging moment, what did you do to be able to walk alongside it? I mean, I really like, like, like I think back when, like, like when I was going through with Christian, I would just force myself to go outside, to smile at the sun and be grateful, like find something I was grateful for. Um, that really helped me and me meditation, but I don't meditate as often as I should, but like mm -hmm. getting grounded, getting present. And I, and when I used to do my show back in the day and I, you know, it would be stressful, whatever, I'll be like, okay, I'm not curing cancer here. Like, 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 let's, let's put it in perspective. Like I just kind of like talk my way into just, you know, being, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that, yeah. if that explains it, but like, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I get, I react and I get flustered and I get, you know, emotional about things, but it's like, I bring myself back to just being present, being filled with gratitude for this, this a beautiful, crazy challenging and amazing life that I have. And then lastly, what are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? These can be moments, words, feelings, sayings, whatever okay, well, authentically comes to your mind. So my dog might start barking when my friend comes out of the bathroom, but this, this goes down as by far the best advice that I've been that I've ever been given in my entire life. It, it is career oriented. So he sat me down, John Waters, I was 19 years old. Hairspray was about to come out and he said, I want you to 
listen to me because I, you know, this, that your, your life is about to change. It's like, I want you to remember these three things. One, um, always stay humble. Two, always stay true to yourself. And three, always believe, uh, uh, if you're going to read and believe the good things people write about you, you're going to have to read and believe the bad. Mm. And it was really, I mean, I remember it. I remember exactly where I was sitting. I remember the conversation. And I swear to you, like I, you know, I've been in this career for 30 something years and I've managed, I think, to stay pretty close to who I am. Anybody who's known me back then, I mean, I've stayed pretty much the same. So uh, John Waters gave me the best advice for my entire career. I adore that man. And I'm just so grateful to, to have him to raise me through this crazy business. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your light, your insight. And just most importantly, I think being you, you know, and, and, and selflessly wanting to share you, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, you know, I, I want to obviously, yeah. I just want to say, I'm so impressed with you. I, I was, when I met you, you are, you are a light and your voice is really, really inspiring to so many and to me. And so I, you know, I really appreciate the work you're doing both with mental health, with body positivity you know, your, your parents, I have no doubt are super proud of you. Oh, I love you, Ricky. And I, I thank you. Honestly, it means a lot. It really, really means a lot. And we're all just over here trying to have people feel comfortable in their own skin, you know, mm-hmm. because once you find it, it's a gift that you want to share. Absolutely. It is, yes. it is a gift you want to share. And if anybody wants to continue to, you know, listen to Ricky, which I'm sure you already do head over to her Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, which is Ricky Lake. Her Facebook is miss Ricky Lake. And thank you. Is it miss Ricky Lake? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not really, I, 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 I don't, you know, I'm not like on a pedestal speaking, you know, I share just about my personal stuff and yeah, I'm just doing walking the walk. Haley, thank you so much for your time this morning. Keep doing the great work. Love you. Thank you. Love you. And if you're looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self. To always remember to lead with the three M's, that's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. You've got this and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode and it's okay to not be okay in your journey to become grounded in the power of you now some of the topics we discussed today may have been triggering if you're in need to speak to a crisis counselor please text home to 741-741 or head over to activeminds.org mhresources for curated resources ready to hear from you This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Harinagay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. 
This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.